The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. The Three Down Greencast is brought to you by the Pile of Bones Brewing Company, Regina's only downtown brewery. Well, a bit of a last-minute roster change this week on the Three Down Greencast, as I've had to put uh, John Fraser on the practice roster, or whatever you want to call it, as uh, I can say that he and his wife Lacey have welcomed their second baby boy, Connor, into the world, so... Uh, decided to give him the rest of the season off, essentially, as we'll be podcasting this week, and there'll be a show next week from Grey Cup. I'm not sure who I'm going to be talking to, but I'll find someone there. Until then, once again, here to prop us up again this week, like she has in the past, from the CJME CKOM Green Zone, Ariel Zer, Ariella. Thanks for being here again. You're welcome. Does that make me Brandon Bridge, last second roster change? Uh, I guess in theory, but uh, <laughs> you're far better at what you do than what Brandon Bridge does. So <laughs> the quality is far superior and you, you can make the argument, and I think John has as well, that you might be better than him even. So really, I don't know if it's quite as inept, but uh, considering it's a last minute change, though, we'll get into that later. It yes. wasn't really a last no. minute change. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's so good to be here and uh, lots to talk about this week, as Ooh. always, as uh, we got a, a big West semifinal to uh, break down after uh, the wider season came to an end. And there was a bit of an availability today as we're recording on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And uh, some interesting comments to come from there. But uh, before we get to all that, as always, uh, a little bit of a little bit of a drinky poop before we get going here. Uh, Ariel, what did I bring you today? You brought me the Pile of Bones Scarth Street Blonde, which is a lovely little. Uh, I think it's a lager. I would say it's, um, a, it's a it's a blonde ale. Yeah, yeah. it's a blonde ale. I, I, I'm really enjoying it. It's got a nice light taste. Uh, they say on the side that uh, they've been toiling away to find a beer worthy of being named after Scarth Street. I think they found it. Absolutely. And uh, I guess in John's honor, I brought his favorite beer, the Pile of Bones White IPA, just then light, um, citrusy delight. Mm-hmm. So as you said, the Riders, they lost in the West semifinal, and there's going to be a lot to get to on that front, a lot of it negative, which I'm, we're just, you know, relish, we're just relish the opportunity to talk about how all of the negative, negative things. things. It's, just, it's all we really live for <laughs> around here. That's a bit of a joke at the expense of Chris Jones after uh, his, his comments post-game, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of a heat of the moment there, but regardless, that's kind of what happened. Before we get into that, though, I actually want to praise Chris Jones. Mm. 
for a decision he made earlier in that week that uh, came out after the game. He played, you know, he played the games, you know, throughout the week. The will he, won't he was Zach Caleros. And it turned out basically before the week even began that the decision was made that Caleros was not going to play in that game, wasn't going to be dressed, because there was all the signs that whether it was post-concussion syndrome or not, we don't know, mm -hmm. but he was still feeling something from that hit he took against the BC Lions. So Jones is getting flashbacks to what happened the week of the Ottawa game where he went out there despite not feeling great and they just got obliterated and put Zach Caleros' health at risk and all that. So Chris Jones decided, no. Even though this is the biggest game of the year and you're our best chance to win at quarterback, I'm not going to put you in this game, number one, because I, I, I think there's football reasons to. Mm -hmm. It's always better to put the guy who's 100% in the lineup. And number two, even though he's free agent at the end of the year, he's still thinking about Zach Caleros' long-term health. And he deserves a lot of kudos for that. Absolutely. And I think that that's one thing that I can really praise Chris Jones about all year is he took concussions, Zach Kolaros' concussion and other concussions. Very, he's always taking concussions very seriously, Joel. And I, I, I do uh, give Chris Jones a lot of credit for it. He says it all the time when we talk about concussions, that he treats his players as if he would treat his son, if his son was in the same situation. And so he doesn't want to put them ever at risk of further injury, of further... Um, harm, really. I mean, concussions are brain injuries, and, and Zach Kolaros medically cleared to play in that game, but said he just wasn't feeling right, and said it felt like that Ottawa week, and that was the that was the week that Kolaros got knocked out of the game. Uh, he missed four games after that because he got a concussion, um, and I think that was a big red flag for Chris Jones, that, you know, he saw what happened to Zach in, in Ottawa, and he didn't want that to happen to him again, and, and you can't do enough, I think, to protect player safety, especially when uh, when concussions are involved. Mm -hmm. And I would think, or I would hope, in, in, in a lot of ways, uh, that Zach Kolaros will take a good long look at the mirror and, and wonder and, and think about what his football career means to him and, and what his life could look like 20 or 30 years from now if he continues to play football. Yeah, I mean, he's Kolaros has taken three pretty strong head blows this year that have led to injuries, some more serious than others. And so, you know, there's a lot of talk about his future, and we will probably get into that in a little bit. But, you know, we don't know how Kolaros felt about this. We don't know if this was mm -hmm. something that he decided to. I hope in my heart that, because he said after, he said the right things after that mm -hmm. Ottawa experience where he said, you know, I should have been more forthright of in course, how I was feeling and all of that, because he played the, he played the next game and was not, he was not good enough. He, and he admitted that he had had a concussion since the yeah. preseason, probably, or he had yeah. symptoms of concussion since the preseason, which he hid from the trainers. Mm -hmm. So I think he has learned from that situation, Joel, because yeah. I think the beginning of the season, Zach Kolaros would have played in this playoff game. Yeah, and we were talking before while I hit record on the computer here, you were saying earlier in the week, you said the day one availability with him, you could tell, in retrospect, you could in tell he was a loss. Yeah. And then by day three, when he was available again, he seemed a lot clearer, and it was probably because he felt, okay, I don't have to worry about myself. I'm not playing. Yeah, absolutely. And there was a couple of signs, I think, from Zach Kolaros in that Wednesday availability. In hindsight, you know, mm -hmm. um, he wore a cap really low down on his on his head, kind of to mask his eyes a little bit. And, yeah. and it's just his ability to, I think, in some ways, even just string together a sentence without having to think about the words that he was going to say. He just sounded a little bit jumbled. And I don't know if that was the day they decided he wasn't going to go. Brandon, we couldn't really nail Brandon Bridge down on a specific timeline on when the decision happened. But what he did say was that um, they made the decision early enough that he didn't feel like he was going to be in limbo. And so what ended up happening was Zach tried to practice in a few, in a few 
practices ahead of ahead of the game and decided he just didn't feel right enough to play and that was when the call was made and and I really do appreciate the fact that they wanted to give Brandon as much time to get into the headspace of a starter and it was by day three uh, Friday I believe that Brandon Ridge was taking the majority of the reps with yeah. the starters and and Chris Jones was still playing coy at that point but as we were talking about before the show or before we started recording was was the proof is in the practice yeah. and your eyes don't deceive you in those situations. No, pra- practice never lies. It's, it's it's an old thing in all of sports. If you go and you watch practice, you 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 know who's playing, you know who isn't, whether the coach says it or not. The coach doesn't like to say it because they have their reasons. A lot of it's baloney. It doesn't mm-hmm. really matter. I agree. Uh, because I, I, I believe it might have been Jeff Hamilton. I could be wrong. There's a couple of Winnipeg people who said Winnipeg knew that Brandon Bridge was playing all week. So, uh, yes. so really, so really, you know, if actually, Winnipeg knew the whole time, then what's the point? Yeah, we were up for dinner. <laughs> uh, we were up for dinner on Saturday night with a bunch of uh, the reporters that were in town, and Michael Shea, actually, the coach of the Bombers, showed yeah. up at uh, was eating dinner at the same restaurant. Came over to the table, and the we were all on our phones because Dave Naylor had just broken the story, and he was like, "What, y'all like?" sick of talking to each other already and we're just like well it's breaking news Mike have you heard Brandon Bridge isn't playing he's like, I knew Brandon Bridge wasn't playing so yeah no surprise to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers whether that's because players talk to each other because former coaches you know former coaches talk to each other yeah. all of that kind of stuff or whether they just kind of had a feeling based on what they had kind of picked up in the media and stuff throughout yeah. the week uh, or, they, know, or, they, or they were unconvinced or maybe they sent Wally Buono's plane over <laughs> or they had the little blue spies <laughs> yeah, exactly you never know so it's a small league people talk but that's that's really besides the point of the whole yeah. thing I, you know as much as we kind of get annoyed at that mm-hmm. it's, it's not going to go away it's I, would, I would love for there to be a fourth right coach again in that sort of manner but it's not going to happen coaches so. are the most paranoid people yeah. on the planet especially in football yes teams, especially yes football. and especially in playoffs and in the end, it seems the game of ship uh, didn't didn't work. No. <laughs> as, uh, as surprise, surprise, it didn't work. As the the rider season is now over, some would say a little early, some would say maybe on time, depending mm-hmm. on how you look at what you thought this team was. And I think at the end of the day, everything that we said about this team and its flaws and what could be the downfall ended up being the downfall because yeah. all year we knew the defense was good, we knew the special teams was good. But if they needed that game for the offense to get them over the finish line, could they do it? And they couldn't. And all their best games were when the offense was firing, at least on, they were, they were on most, of their, most yeah. of their cylinders, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I think um, they needed Zach Kolaros in that game, not necessarily because he's this big offensive whiz or, you know, mm-hmm. the, you know, or, or the best quarterback in the league or anything, but he was an excellent game manager. Yeah. And he was able to move the football he would have done what he would have done what Matt Nichols did. In that Absolutely, game he would have done that, and and that might have been all that the Rough Riders needed to win that game. It would have given mm-hmm. them the edge. They probably would have found the end zone at least once more. Uh, might not have scored that ill-advised, or might not have thrown that ill-advised interception no. uh, near the end of the first half there that Brandon Bridge did, and and that ended up being a touchdown. So you know, you, you say might have saved them a few points here and there, may have been able to score them a few more. Yeah, you can never really say for sure. Because, I mean, Zach Kolaros went into Winnipeg and played probably his worst game mm-hmm. ever as a pro quarterback in that game. So, you never know what might happen. Maybe the Winnipeg defense is a little more amped up. Maybe they're at another level because they have to try harder against Zach Kolaros than they do Brandon Bridge, frankly. And so, you never know. But, for sure, if, if in some magical world, the rest of the game plays out exactly as it did if Zach Kolaros is in that game, he hits Naaman Roosevelt in the end zone. Mm-hmm. Early on in the game, I marked that one down. I'm like, remember that missed opportunity? Yep. It's three nothing. 
and Brandon Bridge throws behind Naaman Rosenthal yeah. horribly. Yeah. And they have to settle for a field goal, and he doesn't throw that pick. Yeah. Those two plays alone is a massive swing in the score. Yeah. The Riders go up 10 nothing. If Brandon Bridge makes that play, I'm convinced they win that football game. Yeah, I think you're probably right, because it also changes the whole momentum going into the game, right? It gives yeah. you the extra points. It changes the mindset. It gives Brandon Bridge the confidence that he needs and they, they had it forward. And he, he, looked, he didn't look horrible. He's a confident, front. and he's a confidence yeah. quarterback. Let's yeah. be like, let's be mm-hmm. very clear. Brandon Bridge feeds off his own confidence. He also feeds off having the confidence of other people. And you know, mm-hmm. it was really interesting today as he was talking to the media at their modified garbage bag day today um, about what he would need to succeed if he were to stay in Saskatchewan. And he said it was faith and trust, and that they were going to ride him out mm-hmm. no matter how good or bad it got. That were those were the things. And I don't think Brandon felt that way this year. I don't yeah. think they felt he felt like. He said that he did, but I don't know that he felt like they had the same faith in him to get it done as they did last year. Um, and last year, he and this is something that he said too, last year he was more of a 1A. Mm-hmm. And this year he was a true backup. And sometimes asking your true backup to come in when they haven't done the, they haven't had the reps and they haven't done it is a tall order. Yeah, because even in that game you saw spurts of it where you saw the side of Brandon Bridge that we saw last year. You bet. That you, we didn't see it all during the year. Now, he still wasn't good. I think we can all agree on that. He wasn't great, but they still could have won the game. And basically, the, all Brandon Bridge had to do was not be a story in that game. Mm-hmm. Unless he's going to be the story because he threw for 400 yards and four right. touchdowns, which, right. which is completely unrealistic. But Brandon Bridge's biggest downfall yeah. is that he went... He, is when he tries to do too much. And that's what we saw during when he got intercepted. And that's what we saw at different points of the game. I think he took a sack one time because yeah. he was trying. There's a few of those, yeah. There's a few where he was trying to get away and he ran right into the defender or right towards the defender and that sort of thing. And and when Brandon Bridge is just being Brandon Bridge and not trying to be the hero, yeah. um, he plays a decent football game. Yeah, and I think you, you saw signs of it earlier. The first two drives. Until that bad throw name in Roosevelt, you're looking, you're, I'm thinking in my head, okay, he settled in, bad. it's not so bad, they have a chance here, he misses that throw, and then I think the next series they go two and out, and this, yeah, the wheels completely fell right off. And so that leads to the questions from now, based on that performance is, and I heard a lot on your post-game mm-hmm. show, I don't know some of the other guys, but I heard a lot on your post-game show, and it's kind of continued on about Bridge, was, what it, was his regression this year overall him? Or was it coaching? I, I believe it's both. Yeah, I think I, I think believe both. he stepped back a bit. I think he missed Kevin Glenn because he was kind of a quasi-quarterbacks coach. I, yeah. I really think he had a better mesh with uh, Jarius Jackson than he did Steve Walsh. Yeah, and I think that those are all of those things. But I do think that Kevin Glenn made Brandon Bridge a better quarterback. Uh, and Kevin... Didn't have didn't have the ego or didn't have the worry that maybe a Zach Kolaros would have by mentoring Brandon Bridge, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Kevin Glenn's blown around the block a few times, whereas Kolaros might have seen Brandon Bridge as a legitimate threat to his job, right? So there's a yeah. different relationship between and, them. And and you know, to go back to training camp, did Chris Jones maybe plant that in Zach Kolaros' head by not coming out day one and saying? You're my starter. And I've talked about this a long time. I've talked about this a lo- for a long time because I think there is a... Quarterbacks are fragile beings. Some as of, much most as they, of them are, yeah. As, mo- yeah. as much as they bluster and as much as they show this confidence and this a little, even borderline arrogance in some cases, they are like goaltenders in that they're fragile. They need to know that they have the confidence of their coaches. Yeah. That makes them play better. I firmly believe that makes them play better. And if you look at the best quarterbacks in the league right now, they're the ones that have had that faith from the very beginning from their head coach. No one's questioning whether Mike Riley or Bo Levi Mitchell or Trevor Harris or even to a certain extent if Matt Nichols is playing 
in a game at any given point in time. But at the beginning of the season, and certainly in the preseason, Zach Kolaros didn't have that. Mm-hmm. No, he didn't. And we, we saw the progress a little bit from Kolaros throughout the year when he was actually in the lineup. And so that, <clears throat> so we, you know, we talked about bridge. So for Kolaros, the question going forward is, even if you know he's going to be stay healthy for a year, which is mm. a big question mark regardless. Mm. And I think that's, that's kind of a, a scary re- thought for the riders going forward on to whether they bring him back or not mm-hmm. and whether he should frankly even continue to play football or not. But even if you, even if you're, even if you've looked in the future, you're guarantee yourself the brand that Zach Caleros is going to play let's say 15, 16 games next year. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to be at a reduced salary regardless. I, he, I don't think he mm. can ever justify making the money he did again this year again right. until he proves it otherwise. Did he do enough, though, still, really, to warrant another job with his team? I don't think so. Um, no. I don't think so. I think that, did he do enough to maybe warrant a flyby from another team? Probably. Yeah. Or, you know, like, if he wants to play, I think he would get another opportunity to play in this league. But I don't think that he did enough to convince the Rough Rider coaches uh, or the Rider fans or, or the Rider brass that he deserves another shot here. And... In part, you can't. I don't know how much you blame it on him. You can't blame someone's. I don't know. If you, you can't blame someone from their for their fragility. You can't blame someone for their their concu- being concussion no. prone. No, you certainly. Can't, no. But you can. Uh, there and there are a lot of situations going on with the Rough Riders. I mean, Zach Kalaros became the starter. Uh, he practiced through camp with five. Excuse me, with five veteran receivers: Deron Carter, Rob Bag, Chad Owens, Bakari Grant. I mean, those were the guys that he, and Naaman Roosevelt, those were the guys that he was in training camp with. Then all of them get cut, almost, except for Jerron Carter and and Naaman Roosevelt. Jerron Carter goes to defense very early after the injury to Nick Marshall, right? And all of the sudden, and then Zach Caleros goes down in, in the Ottawa game. And all of a sudden, he's had one week with a bunch of rookie receivers, and then he misses four weeks. And then he has to come back into the lineup and reacquaint himself with these receivers that he barely played any time with whatsoever. And I think Zach Kalaros took a lot of blame for some of the growing pains that the receivers had. Things that we don't know about, you know, uh, about certain plays and certain routes. And if you watch the game, maybe you can pick up on a few of them. But were they finishing their routes? routes were they where they were supposed to be did they turn in the right direction i mean all of these things affect whether or not zach kalaros had the target that he needed to get the ball you know to get the ball out of his hands and when you listen when you listen back to some of the things that he said earlier in the season which i have he talked about that you know he 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 didn't throw his receivers under the bus but he did talk a lot about them learning Mm -hmm. and being in position I think that's a fair point, and you, you, we, we saw that even with Brandon Bridge. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a discussion a lot last year, while a lot of people were praising Bridge, he was getting a lot of help from a lot of veteran receivers yes. last year. Like, let's not fool ourselves. Like, that he was maybe a little, he looked a little better than he was, because Jerron Carter and Neiman Roosevelt and Bukari Grant the were league, making arguably. circus arguably. catches time after time. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have that this year. Even when he was in there, Neiman Roosevelt was hurt half the time. Mm-hmm. And we, we saw in the West semifinal, Neiman was there, and that's basically the only guy he threw to. Yep. Because he he knew that he's going to make the catches for him. The other guys may or may not. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that certainly plays into it, which leads into the bigger question, which Chris Jones said today, that Stephen McAdoo, mm-hmm. Saskatchewan's favorite coach, <laughs> <laughs> will be back next yes. season. Um, and he brought up the reason of a lot of changes. And it's basically everything you went through, which I, th- which I think is a fair point. 
Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with necessarily saying that, but every team goes through that. Yeah. And so I just, I wonder, okay, I, I, there's a part of me that says, eh, that reason's kind of bogus. Mm-hmm. There's another part of me that, like, I sat back when I first read the, when I first read the Chris Jones quote on that today, I was like, what? That doesn't make any sense. That's just complete bogus. And then, mm-hmm. then I sat down and thought about it a little longer. I'm like, okay, I see a little bit. Then the other side of me was like, I'm thinking of it from his perspective, from Chris Jones's perspective. And he, to me, he might've said that to basically come up with a reason that made sense on the surface. Because he doesn't want to throw his guy under the bus. Right. He's as, never as, been as like much that. as and I'm sure he and Steve will Steve Mac do, they will reassess everything they did. Mm-hmm. Because Chris Jones is that kind of coach and they'll meticulously go over everything. And I'm sure in some sort of coach's way, he's mm-hmm. probably going to give McAdoo the riot act mm-hmm. for how bad the offense was this year. And he's going because of their relationship and how They're long they've been friends. together, yeah. he's going to give him another chance, but something is going to have to change. He just wasn't going to publicly say that because he does. he's not the kind of guy who's going to throw his guy under the bus. He's never been that way. And, you know, he talked a lot about, you know, in the post game what they could have done differently. And the first thing he said was, I could have coached them better. Yeah. He is that kind of coach. He's mm-hmm. not going to put his, throw his players under the bus. So you can't expect him to throw the coaches under the bus especially his ho- like, And especially other than Steve Walsh, his whole coaching staff has been with him for how long? Right? Well, exactly. They're his friends, right? Like, yeah. they're, they're the people that he depends on. They're his family. And... and um, another way I think that he really showed, you know, he really showed leadership is, and I, we probably won't get too much into this, but, um, the CFL football operations cap, um, came, he, he had to fire six to seven players today or not players, sorry, coaches and, and football operations staff today. Mm-hmm. And everyone across the board took a 10% pay cut and that included Chris Jones. He led by example. Well, yeah. And by cutting his own salary, 10% out of everyone. He actually loses the most money out of everyone mm-hmm. because he's that's right. probably still making around reported seven fifty or whatever, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, that's a whole other issue. There's a whole off season yes. talk about the ramifications. We don't even know who's gone yet mm-hmm. and all that. And we just know it's not Stephen McAdoo. <laughs> we know it's not Stephen McAdoo. We know it's not him. Right. And we know we assume it's probably not the VPs. And I also assume it's probably not the defensive coordinator either. No. <laughs> if anything, this is made. This probably leads to a. More likely, more likely than not, chance that Chris Jones isn't going to give himself help on the defense by bringing in a defensive coordinator because and, that's, that's a body you have in the eleven count, right? Yes, and, why, and quite frankly, I, he did a pretty good job. No, absolutely, the there's no reason for him so. to do that at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, we have the whole offseason yes. talk about Chris Jones, the GM, yes. and what what the you know discussions about that and his future mm-hmm. and everything. But you know, we'll see where that goes. But the one thing I think that Chris Jones, I hope, takes away from that West semifinal. And what we saw, what he saw on the other side of the ball all game long was how the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have built their team. Mm-hmm. Now, you can discuss about, you know, how good you think Winnipeg is. I've had, personally, Winnipeg number one on my power rankings for a very long time. Because mm-hmm. I, oh, yeah. I think they, they are, are the best team. I think they are the best built team in the CFL. I've said it all year. Mm-hmm. Because they valued Canadians and they valued offensive linemen. And We say it all the time. No, we say, the we team, say it all the time. We, the team that has the best Canadians wins the Great Cup. Yeah. And, you know, Chris Jones, I feel like at times has tried to win despite his Canadians since he's had control of the team. I think he's learned. Team. Yeah. I think he's learned, though. I think you saw, especially in his second year, him bringing in a lot of Canadian talent, making sure he had the Canadian yeah. talent that he needed in the Canadian depth. But I, I don't think... Uh, He's really the, the Rough Riders are really bad at scouting Canadian yes. talent, and so the Canadian talent that they brought in, you can you can say Darius Blada, it would be a good Canadian that mm-hmm. they scouted all their own. Cameron Judge has certainly turned out to be 
a heck of a linebacker for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, yep. starting a lot of times over Sam Pearl um, and, and playing really great ball. But um, the rest of their, and I think you could even take it back to Edmonton, the rest of their ability to scout Canadian talent has been a little bit lackluster. Yeah. Um, and you have to be able to find the best Canadian talent and develop it and work them into your lineup to be successful in this league. And I, th- I do think they're getting better at it, but they've still got some work to do. And they're, they're just going to have to get even better at it, especially if this Halifax thing comes to fruition mm-hmm. and that's another mm-hmm. seven Canadians starting somewhere. They're going to lose one in an expansion draft and you know that whole other thing. But yeah, because if you watch that game and the way, and the way Winnipeg has developed all year... And I was listening to Blue Bomber talk with Josh, with John Hodge and Tim Hodge today. And they were talking about the All Star selections, and if it wasn't you know Brendan Labatt didn't have the kind of year did, or if uh, there's a couple of, there's an opportunity that in theory, if things broke certain ways, they could have made the argument. I d- didn't disagree that four of the five offensive linemen in the CFL West All Star could have been Winnipeg Blue Bombers. They have a, such a strong offensive line, and really they need to because yeah. in in a lot of ways their their entire game is predicated around Andrew Harris, a running back. And so if you don't have a line that can support a running back, it doesn't matter how good your running back is, Absolutely. they're not going to be able to have the numbers and put up the numbers that Andrew Harris puts up for the the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. That entire offense is built around Andrew Harris, and so they need to have the guys around him and the Rough Riders offensive line until the injuries started plaguing them had a pretty good year and the running backs for the Saskatchewan Rider, Rough Riders had a pretty good year but they didn't have Andrew Harris and they didn't have the year the Winnipeg Blue Bombers did. No I, I just I think the, the problem with that I always believe the starters were there we've talked about mm-hmm. this I just, I just don't think yeah. the depth was ever there and I know it takes time to build it but it has still it hasn't been a priority for so long mm-hmm. that it showed mm-hmm. late in the year and they tried for Philip yeah, Blake because they didn't feel like they had it, right? And, and then they started him ahead of Josiah St. John. After Which is a guy that just they once. picked <laughs> after a guy that they picked first overall in their first season. So you go back to their you know their, their ability to identify and develop talent. And, yeah. and Josiah St. John did a serviceable job in relief. Yeah. I'm not going to say he's the most amazing thing to come out, but he also took two and a half seasons to get to the point where they felt like they could put him in there and not be too worried about it. Yeah, and I, I, well, I, I think he got a lot of help by having Brendan Labatt in the middle. And Thaddeus Coleman yeah. on the right, right? Yeah, so it's, it's it's still a work in progress. It's something they're going to have to identify in the offseason, and I hope they, because they where the riders are at right now are kind of where the Bombers were at a couple years mm-hmm. ago, where the Canadian talent is kind of on the rise a little bit. They're just missing a few little pieces here or there, because we saw, because that's where that eventually was their downfall, was everything we talked about all year. The offense, you know, scoring, you know, making, scoring touchdowns, offensive line depth, the whole thing. And it's funny because at the time, you know, all the, you know, certain section of Rider Nation is like, oh, no, it's relaxed. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And then in the end, oh, look, mm-hmm. everything we talked about ended up happening. Ended up being the dog <laughs> with the fire around us. Yeah, but still, and still, <laughs> despite all of that, in that game, they were still just that one big play away. And I, you, I, I know. Because of everything they've done this year, when I was sitting there, I was sitting there like late in the game, I'm like, here, here it comes, here it comes. There's going to be the return. There's going to be picked. There's going to be something, but it just didn't happen. You depend on, and, and the Rough Riders depended on their defense to make that yeah. big play. And not only did the Rough Riders depend on their defense to make that big play, and usually they did, um, the defense expected it out of themselves. Yeah. When they lost games because there wasn't an interception or there wasn't a big knockdown or there wasn't a forced fumble or whatever it was, 
they were down on themselves about that. That was the expectation that they had for themselves, that at least once a game they were going to make that big play. They were going to be that deep difference maker. If their offense couldn't do it, they were going to pick up the slack for the offense and make sure that the game was won. They prided themselves on that, and, and they did a heck of a job. Chris Jones set a goal for the defense at the beginning of the year that he wanted them to score 10 offensive touchdowns. Well, they scored... I think 11, and then there were four on special teams, I think. Yeah. Um, so they blew that out of the water. And um, this defense, and a Chris Jones team defense will always be, is the heart mm -hmm. of this team. And it will yeah. be really interesting to see what changes come in the offseason and how costly those might be. But I've never really been concerned about Chris Jones's ability to find defensive talent. He seems no. to find it wherever it lives, under whatever rock in the States <laughs> they, they come from. Um, and put together one heck of a team, uh, defensively at least. Yeah, and he's, he's going to have to do it again because we've seen the free agent list. There's a lot of big names on there. Mm -hmm. There's you know, guys like Willie Jefferson and Antigua and, and you know, these guys. Samuel Guavin. Samuel Guavin, like they all could be heading south. Mm -hmm. And I think there's questions about going south and how how realistic it is for the guys, these guys to really make teams because a lot of them don't Chris, end up doing it. You know, it's really interesting because Chris Jones said today in his in his big debrief with us that he does try to educate the players a little bit, but like, listen, if they're not offering you a lot of money up front, the chances that you're going to make the team and play football in the NFL are very, very slim yeah, if you're not getting that yeah. upfront money. Um, but he also understands that spending a certain amount of time on a practice roster or spending a little bit of time with the team, that's money that he can't offer his players, yeah, and that's yeah. money that can change their lives. So he also doesn't fault them for that sort of thing either. Yeah, I think guy like, guys like Aguava and Antigua that haven't been there yet really mm -hmm. will take that shot. I think it's, it's more like that's one of those things where you look at a guy like Willie Jefferson and you mm -hmm. say, okay, you've, you've been down there. You've been through the yeah. grind of an NFL camp. And they know, and now it's there's like 90 players at camp, and they don't have to cut them till the end now. Yeah. So that's where, to me, a lot of these guys they sign from the CFL are just bodies because they can have bodies, well, and they're there. And Willie said that. So for he'll him, do it. yeah, for him, it's it's if if the legitimate shot is there, he should take it. Mm -hmm. If it's not, I think his best chance still might be to stay up here. Well, and you know what? And that's kind of basically what he said is that he would go to the NFL if it was easy, basically, yeah. if the opportunity wasn't going to be going. You know what I mean? If yeah. they had the the faith in him from the get-go that he was going to be part of it and he wasn't going to have to go through that 90-man grind and, and end up getting cut, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? And he would much rather play in Canada. He loves it here. Mm -hmm. He moved his family up here for the regular season, you know, and and uh, he's he's really happy with Chris Jones as a coach. They have a very special relationship, the two of them. Yeah. Um, he was the first person that ever called Chris Jones loving in my presence. <laughs> you know, he considers Chris Jones like a father. Yeah. And... and you can see that bond um, between them. You see the way Chris Jones talks about Willie Jefferson. So I think um, Rider Nation probably doesn't have to worry about uh, Willie Jefferson going anywhere else uh, other than the NFL. Yeah, that, that, that's fair. I think there's there's guys like that around the league. Like I think if you look at the example, that's probably there's everyone's talking about these free agent quarterbacks mm -hmm. and how they're all on the market this year. And I, you know, sidebar, I think Mike Riley is a guy who should go to the market. Just because mm -hmm. I think it would be great for the CFL for once to see one of these guys move and energize a market. Yeah. I think that'd be great. It rarely ever happens, so it'd be amazing from an outsider's point yep. of view. As an Espos fan, you'd hate it, but yeah. as from a fan of the entire CFL, it'd be great to see like a, finally the John Tavares moment yes. or the LeBron James moment. Sure. Like this big name taking free agency and taking the money and going somewhere yep. else. Mm -hmm. But on the other end, I think there's the example is Bo Levi Mitchell yes. in, in Calgary. He's not going anywhere. He's going to the NFL or... 
That contract is already in John Hoffnagel's drawer unsigned. And once the new CBA is signed, they'll tweak the numbers a little bit, make it work, and then he'll sign it. And Absolutely. Back and, and that's kind of how it is in Calgary <laughs> overall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so where the riders go from here, we don't know. And it's going to be an interesting offseason. And with the number of names and the number of opportunities, and really we don't really know how the CBA is going to look. It could be a while until really we figure anything out. And I think the question right now is, can this team be better next year? And I don't know. Yeah. I, I, like, to, yeah, me, if, to me, it almost feels like the last couple of years were the peak. Yep. And they they might, in this Ryan Mason, might, might not want to hear this right now. It's a small rebuild year, I think. Not yeah. like a major no, rebuild they don't year. Need to blow, they don't need to tear it down and start over, but... But I, think, I think there's a retooling year, and right now I'm willing to say we'll have to see how the offseason plays out. Maybe by some miracle they land Mike Riley and that changes the conversation. Yeah. But I would not be surprised if they didn't make the playoffs but, next And, year. you know, keep in mind that there are a lot of players signed through 2019, and next yes. year's free agent list might look a little, even scarier than this year's looks mm-hmm. in a lot of ways because there's still a lot of uh, a lot of those players are signed through 2019. Um, and so through 2019 means next year could mm-hmm. also even maybe even be worse than this year. But I think priority number one for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders is to find a quarterback that can win you some football games again. Because, yeah. and Chris Jones said it today, quarterbacks are what win you football games in this league. And you can have the best defense in the league, which I believe the Saskatchewan Rough Riders did, at least when it came to making the big plays and, mm-hmm. and making a difference in the game. Um, and you still can't make it to the Grey Cup. You need that quarterback. Yeah, in, in you know, in kind of the if you look at the season losing in the West semifinals, technically a step back from what they did by reaching the East final last year. But I, I, I'll always say overall, I think the team progressed in a lot of ways. And as Chris Jones actually said in the post game, Ottawa was a way better team. Yeah. Or sorry, Ottawa was Winnipeg was a way better team yeah. than Ottawa yeah, was. I, I, and I will I will always say. For me, and this and this involves not just football but all sports, playoffs aren't really about determining who the best team is. True. It's what it's one game or four games or seven games. It's all luck. It's mm-hmm. all about deciding a champion, but not necessarily the best team. And it's always about the grind. Yeah. And it's always about who's less injured than the other team in a lot of ways too, right? Who is able to make it through the regular season with the least amount of injuries and is able to push through it through the grind of, of the playoffs and. Um, that's, I think, in part why uh, you see some of these awards based on the regular season because anything can happen. Anything can happen in the playoffs. And yeah. does because Chris Jones got kicked out of the in the West semifinals and make him any less deserving of Coach of the Year? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Okay. But maybe. Well, the voting's already done, so <laughs> true. <laughs> the league already knows who won, yes. so it, it, it's inconsequential. I think that's the way it should be. It's better than the old system where they gave it out after the Great Cup and everyone just voted for the Great Cup winning coach. <laughs> and in a lot of ways, as you should, but then yeah. you have to, you do have to look at the entire season and, and think about, you know, and think about the things that the coach had to deal with. And Chris Jones yeah. had to deal with a lot this year, and he did, and he did yeah. it, and, and he did it with and the, the team took, record. The team took a big step forward because I think if you look over the last couple of years, especially. I don't think if you look back and you would, because the Argos won the Grey Cup last year, you wouldn't have said they were the best team in the no, CFL last year. They just not. happened to win the Grey Cup. And we saw what happened to them this year. So that's just kind of how the playoffs roll, and that's always how I'll feel about it. And that's why, you know, as a sports reporter and a sports fan, especially, I've grown mm-hmm. over the years to realize I used to get really upset about playoff losses for teams that I mm-hmm. followed. And now I'm like, you know what? It's, 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 a, it's all a coin flip. Like, it, yep. you really don't know, and especially is. in football, it's just one game. Like in a lot of other sports where you have seven game series, I still don't think that's enough to really determine who the better team is. Yep. But in one game especially, it's like, well, you lost. You know, that sucks, but... 
What can you do, right? And and you, I think you, they could have played that game a hundred times, and it would have went fifty to the bombers and fifty to the to the riders. It's it's entirely possible. So we're gonna go. We're gonna continue on a little bit now and talk mm-hmm. about uh, the league that is the rest of the league that is still playing since yes, we're on the topic of sure. the playoffs. Uh, this could be. I think it's gonna be a really exciting weekend for the I division agree. finals. Um, out east, the eastern one really intrigues me on a lot of levels, just because I think the big question that everyone. Coming into the playoffs, I was like, okay, I think this is Ottawa's to lose. And all of a sudden, it's Hamilton. I'm like, can Hamilton really lose four times in a season to one team? Can they really know. lose four times in a season to one team? Like that, I just... I, it's almost like it, the odds are in their like favor, right? <laughs> it seems like impossible to do. We've seen teams lose three times in the CFL and the NFL. We've seen it happen about four times in one year to the same team. Could that really... I mean, in theory, yeah, it could happen. It's only one game, but... It's hard to wrap my head around it. Now I'm going back and forth on I mean, how I think this game is going to go. Back in the day, before I covered the Rough Riders and was just a Rough Rider fan, I used to love it when the Rough Riders lost the game the Cal- to the Calgary Stampeders in the game, the last game they played before the playoffs. Because usually it meant they were going to win in the playoffs, and usually it did mean they won in the playoffs. Um, and so I always was kind of like, I'm okay with them losing, you know, with that last one, because you know they're going to come back and fight a little harder and be a little bit better. And, and I do think think I mean they have some big losses in that Hamilton Tiger Cats lineup there's no doubt but I do think that Jeremiah Mazzoli has the capability to lead that team at maybe not to a Grey Cup this year but at least to the Grey Cup uh to the Grey Cup game as not opposed to the maybe being the champion and and I think that um it's just it's difficult because that Ottawa team and that Ottawa offense is is built in a way that it, it's difficult to bet against. Yeah, and I'll be the first to admit that I'm coming in at the start of this year, I was one of those guys that Josh Smith, the Potsky would call, you know, a non-believer mm. of Jeremiah Mazzoli. I didn't know what we... I still didn't really know if he was really as good as everything that he said he was. He said everyone seemed to believe he was. But I'm, I'm on board now. Mm-hmm. At least within that system that they run in Hamilton, mm-hmm. Jeremiah Mazzoli is a what, good quarterback. And you know what the difference was for Jeremiah Mazzoli? June Jones had faith that he could be a quarterback. And it just comes back to that. Yeah. He worked through, June Jones was willing to work through what Jeremiah Mazzoli needed to work through to make him a good quarterback. And Jeremiah Mazzoli has rewarded him by being a great quarterback. Yeah, and some people wonder if it should have been Trevor Harris as the MOP candidate instead at Jeremiah Mazzoli. I think they're both kind of at the same level. But it's, yeah. it's if you took either, I'm like, okay, that's fine. I don't think either of them is egregiously wrong or egregiously right. It just... They're just there, and they're both there. So, yeah, it's, it's so interesting because, in a lot of ways, you would expect Ottawa maybe should win, mm-hmm. and because because you know when a, when a team wins so emphatically in the first week of the playoffs, like when they won that game so easily, oh man! And you just sit there and you wonder, I'm like, okay, they're obviously not going to have that. It's not going to go that easy for them no. again. Do they? You know, can they mentally get it back together to get ready for what's probably going to be a tough fight? Mm-hmm. Because they had it so easily before, and we've seen so many teams after blowouts come back and basically get blown out themselves. But does it does it also mean that this that they've got it figured out? They might. I, 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 th- I think part of it too and was that BC's a horrible road team. And even though and a lot of and, and a lot of people especially and especially yeah. when BC has to go all the way up to the east. And yeah. I think Chris Jones I said that I said that on Sunday. I think Chris Jones has it figured out a little bit by getting his team out to the east as soon as possible. Yeah, they went so a day earlier just, than most. They yeah. went on day three. Mm-hmm. But Jones usually are on like what, day two? Yeah, usually and on if, five and if, to and day he, two or day three. Yeah. yeah. And last year, and like, and if they're staying out east, he stays out east. And they stayed out east last year and it, it almost got them to the Grey Cup. Yeah, and some you could argue it probably 
should have, you know, a few breaks mm-hmm. here or there. And yeah. so they gave him the best shot to actually run that gauntlet that no one ever has. So, yeah, I, I, I really don't know what's going to happen in that game. I keep going back and forth. I'm, I think I'm a little more sure in the West. And it's still anything could happen, but I, I part, part of it... Sure, who are you sure of? I'm sure of Winnipeg. Me too. I'm sure of Winnipeg, yeah, and partially I... because this goes all the way back to, oh gosh, January, February. Mm-hmm. One of my friend's dads, he lives in Ottawa, he asked me to write a kid, and he has to give some speech at some realtors conference mm-hmm. or something. So he usually talks about the real estate market, but then they asked him to talk about sports this year. Mm-hmm. So he asked me to write a blip on him for the CFL, and it was like February. Yeah. And he's like, okay, I need, you know, what do you think is going to happen? Who's going to finish where? Who's going to win the Grey Cup? I'm like, oh my God, Rocco. You want me to pick the Grey Cup when a free agency hasn't opened yet? <laughs> like, come on! <laughs> you know nothing. <laughs> so I'm like sitting there thinking about it, and I'm like, you know, my, my logic was, this is in the way that they were building together and everything. Like, it's now or never for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Not only is it now or never, but, like, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers were probably the best team in the league that didn't make it far. Like, they yeah. had the pieces to win last year. Yeah. And I thought, like, and I was shocked when they struggled like they did during the season. I was really shocked by how they struggled because I thought, you didn't even, like, they did, They made probably the fewest changes to their lineup than probably any team in the league. Yeah. And that team was on fire last year they were such a good team last year and so i thought they're gonna run away with it they're gonna give calgary a run for their money right and they did have their struggles but they are actually probably better for those struggles and i had always kind of had the feeling that whoever won out of saskatchewan and winnipeg would probably go to the great cup Oh, John and John and I both agreed on that on the podcast yeah. last week. We just didn't know who we were picking last week. Right. I was like, I'm fairly certain that whoever wins this game is going to win the Great Cup. No I just thought who's going to win this game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so I and so for selfish reasons because I want to be right, I picked <laughs> Winnipeg. Yes. But also, I just believe, and I believed all year, other than that little blip. But once they got it going again, that they are the best team in the CFL. I think because this year. they were able to get through that blip. Yeah in the way that they did, um, and in one piece, and 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 by not losing faith in Mike Riley, and I, I give a lot of credit to Mike O'Shea for that. Maybe Mike O'Shea probably should have got a little more consideration for Coach of the Year, um, but I mean, the way they were able to come through that and be better as a team, even if the team was falling apart at that point, they were able to push through that and yeah. become what they are now, and Calgary, when they're losing falls apart. It's not the same, right? And I don't think that, even though they were able to come back and win that last game of the season, I don't think it's the same rally that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers had. And so I think the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, I think the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have what it takes to go, not only go to the Grey Cup, but maybe even win it. Yeah, and that would be, I think it would be a great story at the end of the day. It's been so long and... Hashtag 1990. Hashtag 1990, yeah. And so I just... I put out the power rankings of my own of what the Grey Cup matchups I want to see, and Winnipeg Hamilton was at the top mm-hmm. because at the very least someone's drought is going to end, and when yeah. we see a champion we haven't seen in a long time. After that, we went to Calgary Hamilton, just because the thought of Ham- of Calgary losing to a team from Ontario that was 500 below for the third straight year would be hilarious. hilarious. <laughs> it would be so funny. Ottawa Winnipeg would still be a great game, and then I'm just like Calgary Hamilton. Uh, Calgary, I don't want to see that again because we saw that like two years ago. Yeah. So it's all building toward that. And, you know, it, and that's not to say that Calgary can't win this no, game. No, certainly not. I mean, They're the know, best. I mean, they, they, they've been the best team in the yeah, league. They certainly they deserve figure it out, right? They certainly deserve the benefit of the doubt. This isn't going to be a Winnipeg blowout for the search imagination. Um, the weather should be better for them from what I've seen in Calgary 15 this week. degrees, I think. Yeah. So 
the elements won't play as much of a deal, but you know, again, maybe that game for Winnipeg was another battle scar mm-hmm. on them because they knew that that game wasn't going, no one was going to put up 30 points in that game. Yep. And they got through it and they fought and they had, they had to have play a strong game and not make a mistake to do it. There's and that's a- how you have to play against Calgary. And that, and they did it. There's a big question. And I haven't heard. Um, I was a little tied up with the Rough Riders today, but uh, Adam Big Hill and his status. Yeah. And that could be a big game breaker. It could be, yeah. For the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. But again, Michael Shea could be playing the games like Chris Jones did, but if he is, hopefully uh, he has a little more success. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.